So we've been on this thing of uh, uh, talking about Joseph and predestination, and um, I think God's just been, it's been an open tap. Um, you know, since we started this teaching, it's been an open tap in the spirit. God's just been flooding us as releasing his resource. He's illuminating our minds. Uh, you know, how many of us are thankful for predestination? Because predestination means that you know, although things may start bad, but they will definitely end good. God will, you know, somehow unramp us back into things. And, uh, you know, the human story always begins in brokenness. And, but in God and through predestination it ends in, in, in harmony, in, in the fulfillment of the plan of God. And, and that's, that's predestination. So predestination empowers you and I to be hopeful to open up our hearts and, and eyes and minds to watch the future. Uh, future can, you know, tends to create anxiety to, human, to, to, to the human mind. To become anxious about the future. But predestination says that we can be relaxed and chilled. Look at your neighbor and say, be chilled. Yeah. We can be chilled about the future because God's got this. He is working out something. So, so in God, the story and the process, uh, in the human story, begins in brokenness because we are born in sin, conceived in sin, but it ends in harmony and peace and shalom. Um, in the world, the, sto the human story begins in brokenness and ends in brokenness. There's just no hope. There's just no hope. So, so we are so thankful to God for predestination and we have been using this character called Joseph because he's very important to us. He's important because, told us, because God told us that Joseph is our guy. Joseph is your guy. LSA. Joseph is your reference point. Joseph is, is, is your prophetic icon. He's your reference point. Go back to Joseph to understand the nature of your life and the nature. I am so thankful for that because shucks. That, I feel, frames us. You know, otherwise our minds go, go to all sorts of directions as we look at life unfold before us. And that, this word predestination, we've been uh, um, uh, defining it again and again and again. It means to determine beforehand, to determine, to predetermine boundary lines. The idea of predestination means you and I exist in, within some boundary line that's been drawn by God for us. Your job and my job and the job of the church is to help us to find that boundary line for ourselves. If you are in church, then the church should help you. The job of the elders and eldership teams and, you know, pastoral leadership is to help everybody discover the boundary line that were drawn long before you and I were born. And we find these things by the agency of the Holy Spirit. He helps us. You know, by the time we become, we turn 18, 20, 25, we are, you know, discovering more and more what that boundary line is. You know, you know the, what we call the universe of options in God. The universe of options that God has drawn around us. And so to, to predetermine boundary lines and limits, to set destiny in advance. Destiny has been set long before you started grade one. Long before you could pass or fail a test. <laughs> your future has been set. You know, your capacity predetermined by God. 
in terms of who you would be, what you'd be able to achieve. Long before you had misfortune and what you would regard you know, as a bad day, as an unfortunate circumstance, God already has said predestiny, you know, pre, uh, a, a destiny for you, uh, you know, and, and, and so, and that's grateful to know. That's empowering to know that things don't depend. And you have the picture of the twins in the Bible, uh, Jacob and uh, Esau and Jacob, um, uh, you know, who became Jacob and Esau. Destiny, destiny. Uh, brothers, Manasseh and Ephraim, when Jacob, their grandfather, blesses them, he tends the order. It becomes Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the firstborn, and so uh, when, when, when their father, Joseph, presented them uh, to Jacob, who was half blind at the time, and Jacob is lying down, is about to die, you know, these two boys are presented to him by their father, Joseph, Manasseh and, 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 and Ephraim. And Joseph knows how the flow of blessing, what's going to happen, what's taking place here. And he positions, the Bible says this, he positions Manasseh on, 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 uh, you know, to, uh, on the right hand of Jacob and, and Ephraim on the left hand, on the left side of Jacob. And Jacob switches hands, he switches arms, um, and he reestablishes their order. And it becomes Ephraim and Jacob. It upsets their father. You know, how interesting is it that when God steps in by his plan, sometimes he can even upset <laughs> our parents. Yeah? You know, when I say that, it's no authorization for us to dishonor those who are placed by God in authority of our lives. But sometimes it's true that everybody's catching up with the plan of, plan of God, including <laughs> Daddy, Daddy J Joseph. You know? And how amazing is that this prophet Joseph, because he was a prophet, um, uh, who could interpret dreams and do all sorts of things, he missed that particular moment. He actually missed God there. <laughs> yeah. So Jacob, poor Jacob is lying down about to die. He's half blind. And, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Joseph positions Manasseh on his left and Ephraim on his right. So that the order is right for his father, Jacob. But the father switches the order as he prays. And Joseph says, what are you doing? You know, I've set everything in order for you because you are half blind. <laughs> I prepared everything for you. And Jacob said, don't relax, Joseph. Relax. I've got this. I know I'm half blind, but I can see in this moment what's going on. And he blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. Predestination, right? And he declares it, it from now onwards, it's going to be Ephraim and Manasseh. I don't know what lunch looked like for the boys going back home. I can imagine being in the car and everybody's quiet. The father is upset, Joseph. Manasseh is thinking, what's going down there? What's my grand, what? The grandfather. And, and by then, Manasseh knows what the family did. And he, like, he probably is like, yeah. Firstly, they ill-treated my father. <laughs> and then they do this to me. Uh, these are human beings. Yeah, to, there, there was something to process there. Um, and, so, and, so, and so Jacob changes the order. That's predestination. And, and we said that, you know, we are orbiting in the universe of Christ. And if you think of the image of the universe, 
they are, they, you know, the word orbit means a curved pathway for a celestial object. These planets are orbiting within a set pathway. And we, like these planets, are also orbiting as individual believers and as churches in Christ. This is the image. Uh, and you can see the image of the universe and things orbiting, you know. And if you think of Christ as our universe, Christ is our universe. We're orbiting in him. And, you know, there is order in that process of orbiting. Things moving in these set pathways in proper relationship in Jesus Christ. Because that is possible if we all listen to the Holy Spirit. And if we, if we collectively find the will of God. What we don't want is what Jude chapter 1 verse 13 calls wandering stars. Wandering stars. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a wandering star. Don't move off the orbit that God has set for you. There are wild waves, it says in Jude, Jude chapter 1 verse 13. There are wild waves of, of the sea, forming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest uh, darkness has been reserved forever. It really means they're moving beyond their defined limits and pathways. They are like wandering stars, uh, which means God wants order in the flow of our lives, and this is very, very important. So we don't want to be wandering stars, you know, just moving around. And so we declare that we are in, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. If any person is in Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that person is a new creation, the old has passed away and the new has come. And that phrase in Christ meaning that Christ is our defined sphere of options and limits. We don't just do as we will, as we, as we wish. We do in accordance with the order of life within which we exist. And that order is Christ. We are orbiting in Christ, we declare, who is our universe. We are orbiting in Christ who is our universe. People orbit in different uh, you know, spheres. Some people orbit within uh, contexts of culture. Maybe you know, you know, man-made culture, whether it's Zulu or African or, or Indian or whatever sort of form of culture. Some people orbit within that, and that creates a context of options based on your universe. Look at your neighbor and say, what is your universe? We are orbiting within a defined sphere, and that is Christ. And as long as we're orbiting within that, uh, within that sphere of Christ, we are guaranteed renewal. If any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. There's going to be a new formation each time we decide that, hey, Christ is my universe. Christ is my world. Christ is my universe. And we also said that it's important to discern the spheres and limits that we have in Christ. Because in Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 11, grace has been given to each one as Christ apportions it, as Christ distributes it. And then it goes on to say that when Christ ascended, he gave some to be, you know, to be things, to be, he gave, he allocated gifts to men. And so Christ has allocated something to you and I, and we need to discern what that looks like. Because 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 6, says there are diversities of gifts, 
but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in, in all. And so maturity in the things of God is to hold in proper balance the diversity of gifts, of ministries, and of activities against the sameness of God. Same God, but diverse expressions. And if, it's, if it is same God, then the character of anything we are doing is going to be consistent in terms of its nature, in terms of its values. I can't say, well, I'm doing this ministry and ministry X, Y, Z. But when we look at the values, they're not very consistent with the kingdom of God. It is the same God, which means that the seed of whatever that we are called to be and to do is the same. The value system is the same. The service might be different, but the value system is the same. It's different families, but it's got to be same values. Different parents, but got to be same parenting style. I can't say, well, look, I'm, 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 I'm liberal, you know, just by nature. <laughs> just by nature. You know, it's got to be same because it all comes from the same God, same Lord and same spirit. And equally, we said that for this church, for LSA, it's important for leadership of this church to discern what are the gifts, what are the ministries, and what are the activities that have been allocated by the Lord, ordained by the Lord, by the Lord for this particular church. You know. And so for that reason, every leader of, or leadership of a church must be qualified to lead that church. And the qualification is not just in the gifting. The qualification is in the ability to discern the nature of the church, the schedule of the church in the Lord, the activities of the church, and, and to be able to execute a program in 2022, in 2023, based on what it is that God is pressing upon the church. The same applies for families. You know, it's different families by the same God. And, and uh, there has to be the outworking of the programs and activities. There has to be a week, right? A month within which activities take place. Uh, meetings, dinners, lunches, and breakfasts, and all sorts of things. And, 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 and the situations and all sorts of things taking place. There has to be discernment by parents of the scheduling of the activities of the, of the operational framework of that family based on who are these children that God has given us and what future are they called to. And that is why for our, for our young people, that's why you come home sometimes, they, you know, daddy, mommy, can I go to place A, B, and C? And they, well, you're not going to go. You know? You're not going to. And then you say, well, why, why not me? Other friends of mine are going. You know, there is uh, you know, other things being equal. There's reasonableness, right? The point is not just to say no, no, no. But there's reasonableness and discernment of you, you, my child, cannot go there because of who I see or what I see in you for your future. You can't go there even though your friends are going there. That's predestination in action. Diversities of, of gifts, uh, but same spirit. Differences of ministries, 
but the same Lord. Diversities of activities, but it is the same God. And then we start talking about the nature of God, predestination and the nature of God. And have you been loving these scriptures? Predestination and the nature of God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this scripture, Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11. I love this. It's a powerful, powerful scripture for the nature of God. Remember this, it says in Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things. Those of long ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is none like me. The, the, the question here, are there things and voices competing with the voice of God in your life? Yeah? That's what God is after here. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Are there other voices in my life competing with the voice of God or not? Are there other voices that are more elevated than the voice of the Lord? He says in verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. My purpose will stand. Will stand. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. God summons us. What I have said, that will I bring about. Man, I love that. I love that. And aren't we seeing God bring about stuff? Eh? What I have planned, that will I do. Amen. If, if I don't believe in the faithfulness of God and as, we, as we bring 2022 to a close, then I don't know what, what will it take for us to believe that God is faithful. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned that I will do. And we read Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined uh, the times. He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live where they should live, where you want to be, where you are meant to be, right? Where you when you read that, what that should tell you is, I need to be where I'm meant to be. Uh, we lose peace when we're walking in the wrong company and with the wrong company. We start losing peace. And the problem is this, is that uh, believers tend to uh, validate themselves based on the activities they are doing. But actually, we lose peace the first way in which we lose peace is when we're walking with a wrong company. Now, the mystery of that, I need to be where I'm supposed to be, is that sometimes that decision is taken for you based on your placement within a context. If you're a child, that decision is taken for you. You know, if you're a child, all you love is, you know, parents will say, you know, let's go to place so-and-so, let's go and visit family so-and-so, and you know, you're, not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not consulted for that. Your job is to get into the car and, and, and join the adventure. And then what happens is that you start building friendships based on that kind of lifestyle. That decision is taken for you if you're a child. If you're a child, that decision of which church you're going to be part of is taken for you. If you have parents and have guide, guardians, 
you, you know, you, you, you have to follow, you, you, you have to follow their decisions. The, the, the same applies in terms of uh, pastoral or eldership and church, um, in terms of, um, you know, couples, husband and wife. You know, in, in terms of headship responsibilities. And yes, we understand there is, there is issues of partnership in there that are very, very important. Submission is not a passive state. Submission is an active process, we often say. Uh, but there is the, 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 the decision of where you are going to be is, it can be taken for you based on who you are in a, in a context. In a context. You know. And, and what did Ruth say to her mom-in-law? Your God shall be, my God, your people. She's saying, I give you authority to d decide, my friends. And hopefully for children, uh, is that you, as you grow, become 5, 10, 15, 16, sweet 16, is that you see the world of your parents, and that, inf that then eventually informs the kind of friends that you're going to build for yourself. Yeah. Your God shall become my God, your people, my people. Where you die, I will die. And the scripture that we use in, in, a, in a marriage context in terms of integration, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scripture that applies in all sorts of contexts. In the context of predestination, Ruth is saying, I see my destiny is plucked into your process. And so she's saying, well, I don't have to worry about, about, about the God element. Because your God shall be my God. Your people, my people, where you die, I shall also die. Uh, so determined, God determined times set for them. And that word set means to prearrange. Beautiful scripture that. Beautiful scripture. And then we read Psalm 139. How, how many of us love Psalm 139, man? Psalm 139 verses 14 to 18. I praise you because I am, faithful, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full will. I am how? Uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. It means there's a, there's a sacredness about me. I res I have, I've got to respect myself. My frame was not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Beautiful scripture. This idea that God has ordained your days long before you, you, you could even start leaving them. They are ordained. And Paul would write to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, about finding the, the mystery of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. The unsearchable riches, that's predestination. The unsearchable, that which we are incapable of discovering by our own human brain, but that the Spirit of God is able to empower us to discern. That's the predestination plan of God for you and I. All the days ordained. All the days fashioned. That what, that's what that, that word means. To squeeze into shape. It describes the work of the potter working with clay. 
And we know in the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 18, we see the picture of God being the potter there and working with clay and, and forming and reforming. And that's the nature of life. The plan of God is not a linear progression towards a definite end. It's oftentimes a windy road. And we've got to discern every step of the way. What has God ordained in 2022? What has God ordained in 2023? And that's a beautiful thing. How precious is that? The psalmist says. And so we talk about what kind of faith here. Predestination faith. That all the seasons of our lives and of this church community are predetermined and grace preallocated for, for us to walk through spiritual and human conditions and to be victorious in the purposes of the Lord. How many of us believe that? That there's no challenge in life that is so strong that it cannot be overcome by the grace of God that was allocated to you and I before we could even live. All the seasons of our lives was he says that he says that the days are ordained. They are written in his book. All the seasons of our lives are predetermined and grace is preallocated for us to walk through spiritual and human conditions and to be victorious in the purposes of the Lord. God has ordained that when Kiara and Kazi are now in varsity, there is grace allocated for that. That if Kazi is in Johannesburg, there is grace allocated for that. Because there comes a time when, you know, parents have to release, right? But that time when parents release, then there is grace allocated for that time. And, and I think that's a very, very empowering uh, thing there. I love the idea that the days are ordained written in his book. I love that. Because it tells me of security. It tells me of future security. That our obedient journey with the Lord is secured beyond human and demonic reach. Beyond human and demonic reach. Our obedient journey is secured in Christ in the most holy place. Our obedient, it's what kind of journey? Obedient journey. Not the journey of disobedience, but obedient journey with the Lord is secured beyond human and demonic reach. Our obedient journey is secured in Christ in the most holy place. That's where things are secured, and that's a powerful thing. You know, it's not just based on some, some, some human structure. And thank God for human structures around us. But these things are written in his book, in the most holy place. There is a file for you in the throne of God. Of God. A file for your life. And how things should be is that when God pulls that file for you and pull, pull out the chapter 2022, is that the events of your life should align with what is in that file. Yeah? And there's going to be chapter 2023, as, as time progresses, is that all the time there has to be alignment, consistency. When God looks at my life in 2022 and checks his file in the throne of, of, of God, there should be consistency, consistency, alignment. He should say, ah, you, know, you know, Robert is leaving according to the plan of God. LSA is trekking according to the plan of God. There is no confusion. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing written in his book. 
And when we pray, when we fast, when we seek the face of the Lord, what are we seeking? We're seeking to understand. When I read the book that is in heaven about your life, which book do you want to read about your life? The book that is in heaven. Read the book that is in heaven. When you pray, when you seek the Lord, you are reading the book that is in heaven about your life. You read, you're reading the book that God has written about you. There is a story that God has written out. And that story is filled with success and prosperity and advancing the things of God. And you and I have got to be able to read the book in heaven before we leave things out. Before we start our journey. We've got to be praying all the time, seeking the face of the Lord. Say, God, show me what it is that you have written about me in heaven. Because when we pray, what, we, what should we say? Let your will be done here, here on earth as it is in, as it is in your book. We want to leave the plan, the plan and the will of God. And that's how we want to leave. I want to introduce you to another scripture. We love the word of God. Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 14. This is a letter written by a prophet Jeremiah uh, to a bunch of slaves who are in Babylon. They are in distress. They are confused. They've just lost the war. People have died. There's pain all around. And the prophet is writing to encourage them. He is sending to them the word of the Lord. He's speaking into a situation of distress and is sent a situation of pain. And he's sending them the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 14. And this is God outlining his predestination for the nation of Israel in a context of slavery and of pain. Having lost people. Parents have died. Kids have been captured. The Daniels, young men, young fine men, you know, uh, um, have been captured by the Babylonians. It all looks very scary. And the future is, looks like, is there, is there going to be a future here? There's grief all around, and the prophet writes to them, sent by God, and he writes a letter, and he gives it to a messenger to read for the people. And so this is almost like a WhatsApp message that is sent to these captives. It says this, this WhatsApp message. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans, of course, you can begin that from verse 1, really, when you read from home, um, when you're at home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Because I know the plans I have, what is the response of the people? It is to call upon the Lord and to pray. In verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The people must believe this word. It would take 70 years, seven decades for this word to be fulfilled. But they had to believe it. I know the plans. Another translation says, I know the thoughts. 
I know the intentions I have for you. That word really means, it's the same word, it's related to the word that um, uh, Joseph uses in Genesis 50 verse 20. Uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. The word means to fabricate. And so God is saying, well, I, I'm going to fabricate a, a series of events to lead you to my predestination plan. He says, relax. I know my fabrication for your life to prosper you. And that word prosper is the word shalom, to give you peace, to give you prosperity, to give you well-being, and to give you security. That's what that word means. When we say shalom to somebody, you're saying peace. You're saying well-being, prosperity, and security. I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, to give you shalom and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How beautiful is that? In other words, we can say that God is saying, this plan I have for you is to fulfill my predestination for you. And that is what we can call future security. Let's say that together. Future security. Let's say that again. Future security. Let's say that again. Future security. Then you will call upon me. Now that you know that there's future security in me, you will call upon me and come and pray to me because God has a plan. Because there's future security in Christ, we should be praying and fasting and seeking the, the face of the Lord. Then he will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen, God says. You will seek me and find me. I, I love the fact that you will find him. When you seek me with what kind of heart? All your heart. Not distracted in your pursuit. With all your heart. Then he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. In other words, I will restore you. I will bring you back to an ordained place for you. You know, you might be in exile for now, but you're going to be brought back. You don't have to worry. You know, just stick it out in exile. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Raise your children. Just stick it out. Basically, God is saying, stick it out. Just hold the space. Hold the space in exile. Raise your families. Lead um, families and, 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 and develop and build good marriages. Stick it out. Look at your neighbor and say, stick it out. The plan of God shall be fulfilled. And he tells them. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. I will be found by you. I will bring you back from captivity. You just stick it out. Stick it out. I will prosper you. My plan is flowing unhindered to a predetermined end. There is future security in God. Different translations put that verse 11 differently. 
And then in the NIV, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In the message translation, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> How beautiful is that? I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not, to, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. What kind of future? The future you hope for. I know what I'm doing. Do we believe that God knows what he's doing about our lives? Even where we don't know, even where we have questions that, are, that cannot be answered in the now, God knows what he's doing. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. In the old King James, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. An expected end. And that's the issue of future security that we're talking about in God. To give you an expected end. To work things out as I have placed it inside of your own heart. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. I know what I'm doing. Like I want to stand in that place where I know that God knows what he's doing. I know what I'm doing. You know, there, there are things turning. There are wheels turning. There are things you don't even see and know. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you. And I think Joseph had to be sustained by that kind of understanding. That I know what I'm doing. God knew what he was doing. So if God knows what he's doing, then my job is to stick it out. Plant gardens. Build houses. Marry and give your sons and daughters in marriage. It says in the earlier verses in Jeremiah 29. Pray for the prosperity of the foreign land where you find yourself. Don't frown upon it. He says pray for it. Because if it prospers you, prospers, you also will prosper. So God is conditioning their attitude about their placement. About the foreign place. About the foreign land where they find themselves. He says develop a healthy attitude towards the place. Towards the city. Embrace it in, in your heart. Because if you don't, you're going to stay paralyzed. You're going to do nothing. Waiting for God. The way to wait for God is how? Build houses. Plant gardens. Marry and give your sons and daughters in marriage. In other words, God is saying, let life continue. Stick it out. Don't wait paralyzed. Let life continue. Those things are moving towards a predetermined end. Don't wait for God passively doing nothing. Build them houses. Plant gardens. Mary, have weddings, he's saying. Give birth to babies. Name those children. Raise them up. 
And if the time comes, let them get married. Don't hold on to life and cause things to wait because you're passively waiting on God. He says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. And in a sense, like, God, how are you taking care of you, us in this captivity? But God is saying, I'm taking care of you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. How beautiful is that? Future security. Future security. There is future security in God. There is future security when we follow according to the plan of God. There is future security. There is future security. And so as we go back and, 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 and you know, looking into Joseph, there was future, future security upon this man. 17 years old, having dreams and trouble breaking out inside of his life. And, 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 and have falling out with his brothers and tensions with the father. There was future security in the midst of all of those problems. Future security. Being sold as a slave. Finding himself in Potiphar's house and being seduced by Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife. And being lied to and sent uh, 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 to, to, to prison. And sticking it out there. He was sticking it out, sticking it out all the time. Joseph, yeah? Sticking it out. Look at your neighbor and say, again and say, stick it out. <laughs> Goes to a prison. And two men show up, the baker and the cupbearer, who are also fellow prisoners. And he prophesies to them. And one guy, one fellow is executed by Pharaoh. Another is restored back to the service of Pharaoh. Two years later, when Pharaoh has dreams that cannot be interpreted, the cupbearer remembers him. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. And Joseph knew how to stick it out. He knew how to walk into different places and stick it out. He knew how to walk with the favor of the Lord regardless of where he was. Whether he was in Potiphar's or, or in prison, the favor of the Lord followed him. And he was a man who knew how to stick it out. And he was significant because he was reconciling things. God had spoken to the forefathers and to Abraham about the future promises of God. And God jumps into Joseph's life and through pain and family conflict and separation. And yet there was a covenant that had been made by God to Abraham, with Abraham about the future of the nation of Israel. Israel had to enter into Egypt. But how could Israel enter into Egypt without Joseph being there? Now, you start to think about scenarios. And I was talking to Malusa about this one of the mornings driving to school. If, if, uh, if, uh, if, if Joseph slept with Potiphar's wife, he wasn't going to go to prison. Which means he wasn't going to land into Pharaoh's palace. <laughs> if Joseph was in prison, but depressed about the future, he wasn't going to pro prophesy to the two men. And there would have been no reference point 
two years later about the man who can interpret dreams. If Joseph that time came and his father is dead and his brothers come and still carries rage and offense in his heart, executes them, messes up the plan of God for the formation of the nation of Israel, because these are patriarchs. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Ultimately, if Joseph is caught up with interpretation of dreams and running the economy of, of Egypt, he's not going to say, take my bones when you leave. Before he dies, he plugs the mindset of journey, of migration into the nation. And that's how Joseph dies. He releases a spirit of migration. And if he was self-absorbed in his successes and achievements, he wasn't going to do that. For 400 years, these people were not going to be looking forward to, we've got to leave one day. This is Joseph for you. He pulls it all together into one harmonious, harmonious place. He's an amazing guy. And, and, and he's our pattern. He is, he is who God has said that we are. And we look up to Joseph. Israel had to enter into Egypt. If, if, if Joseph... With, grumpy, with, 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 with a grumpy spirit, received his father and his brothers, was that he ill-treated him, did not look out for him and search for him for 13 years, wasn't going to prepare Goshen. The place that became a place of protection during the plagues, the angel passed over there, because there was a blood. Goshen became a significant place. Do you realize every step of the way, the possibility of missing it. The possibility of missing it. You just have to be self-absorbed. You just have to be too concerned about your pain. Then you miss it. You're not going to prepare Goshen and receive your brothers and your father in honor. Because Moses later, that will be the place. That is going to be the place 400 years later. That's going to be the place uh, you know, a, 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 gathering, a gathering point from which they will be observing the plagues hitting and breaking the empire of Egypt. There is a chance to miss it every step of the way. And let's say, <laughs> let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. You know, let that which we proclaim and that which we ratified and prayed back in 2013, we've got to stick it out. What must we do? Stick it out. Because that's the testing of the heart. The word of God has to test us. We've got to stick it, stick it out. And so that's Joseph. Joseph is the kind of guy where there are all sorts of cyclists you know, wheels, things moving around him. And he knows how to stick it out. He knows how to be a good slave. You know how he sticks it He knows how to be a good prisoner. That's Joseph for you. And he knows how to reconcile. He's sticking it out. It doesn't matter where he finds himself. He is sticking it out. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And when that moment comes, when he reconciles with his brothers, but Joseph said, Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. 
my brothers, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And he's basically saying, I see God in my pain. I see God in my pain. I see God in my pain. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, what is now being done, which is the agenda of God at that point in time, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, he says again, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And from that we get three words from God. Don't be afraid. Be reconciled. God will provide. We have to walk in the power of, the, of that word. We have to pray this. We have to fast around this. We have to fellowship around this. Don't be afraid. Be reconciled. God will provide. The question is, what happens to Jacob's family when they are separated from Joseph? Um, what happens to Jacob's family after they were separated from Joseph? Grief happened. Uh-huh. They were grieved. They were in pain. It says in Genesis 37, verses 34 and 35, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son. He refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. What kind of grief is that? <laughs> there was grief. There was grief back home. There was grief back home. What happens in Jacob's family was also chaos. Broke out. Two sons born to Judah were put to death by the Lord because they were wicked. It says, doesn't even tell us what they were doing. Genesis 38 verses 7 and 10. It just says they were wicked. And so Judah gives birth to his two sons and God kills them because they were wicked, it says. Judah himself sleeps with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who had disguised herself as a prostitute. I mean, chaos is breaking out in the, in the, in the home. Genesis 38, verses 13 to, 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 to 30. What happens in the family? The famine breaks out. The shortage of resource. Jacob said to his sons, go down to Egypt and buy some food for us so that we may live and not die. Genesis 42, verses, verses 1 to 2. Genesis 42, verses 1 to 2. Famine breaks out. And it was a physical famine, but we also know a famine is a spiritual principle of the resources of God drying out in the environment. The word of God drying out in the environment. Jacob said to his sons, go down to Egypt and buy some food for us so that we may live and not die. And so they get hungry. There's grief, there's chaos, and they get hungry. What other thing that happens in this family is the lack of trust. When the drama is playing out of going to Egypt and getting food and, and, uh, and uh, Benjamin, I think it is, uh, is kept back by Joseph. Um, uh, uh, sorry, um, they come back to say that, you know, the, Joseph you know, <laughs> wants to see his brother. They didn't know who Joseph was. Uh, it says here, if we pick from Genesis 42, verse 38, Jacob said, my son, meaning Benjamin, will not go down to Egypt with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. In other words, he's saying, I, don't, I no longer trust your stewardship. 
I no longer trust your ability to take care of things. You've lost trust with me. So you can imagine things are terrible in this family. Grief, chaos, famine, lack of trust is what is going down inside of this family. But Joseph, knowing the ways of God and knowing you know, the process of God inside of his own life, facilitates a reconciliation and he secures a future in God through the principle of reconciliation. And so he walks in what we call predestination through reconciliation. And he steps into the mosaic dimension of God, the mosaic act of God. He brings uh, broken pieces together. In Genesis 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In making peace with his brothers, Joseph facilitated the reconciliation of dimensions of God's purposes represented by each of the patriarchs, by each of his brothers. So these are patriarchs. I mean, I was reading the story of Jacob's family. I said, if God can use his family, God can use any family. I mean, yeah, you can think, you can close your eyes and just think about your, your family and the issues that have gone down. If God can use his family, God can use any family. Family have issues. And this family had, had deep issues, but these were patriarchs. And Joseph recognized that. He recognized that there was something deeper than my pain. Something bigger than my pain. And that was the purpose of God. And because of that, he said, I'm going to reconcile with my brothers. Because in the spirit realm, I'm fighting for something greater than justice. You know, when we humans want justice served, we want justice done. And so this becomes a seed. What Joseph does becomes a seed through which the nation of Israel is formed. You can think about generations later when they read the story. They're like, wow, thank God for Joseph. Thank God Joseph didn't kill my brother, my, my forefather. He didn't kill Judah. He didn't kill, he didn't kill them brothers. I mean, something, there was something. There was an orchestration. There was the mosaic art of God. That God was bringing together broken pieces into one vessel. And Joseph recognizes it. And he steps up the game. Look at your neighbor and say, step up the game. When he sees the plan of God, he steps up the game. And that's Joseph. That's Joseph. Predestination through reconciliation. When we read the story of Joseph in Psalm 105, verse 19, it says, Until the word of God, until the word, until the word proved him true, proved, tested, tried, and proved. Same word in the Hebrew, depending on the, the version from which you're reading the scripture. The word means to refine, to purify, to take away the dross. LSA, God has had to take away the dross in this church. The elements of uncleanness. I don't mean people, I mean the elements of uncleanness. To refine, to purify, 
to take away the dross, to fuse metals through the process of heating. Which is why, you know, uh, when you, when you want to take two pieces of material, you can't mix them as they are. You've got to put them in fire first. Amen. You know, we've been on a process of fire, right? You've got to put them in fire. When once they, they, they you know, they've been put on, uh, in, in fire, then you can, you have the opportunity to fuse and to mix things. And you can create anything with that. You can create anything with that. And so this is a fusion of different elements. The very definition of the process of Joseph is that he was proven true. Things were fused together through the heating process. You know. You cannot mix things, metals, without the fire, the process of fire. You can't mix them. But once they've been put in fire, God can mix things and create whatever tool that he wants to create out of that. How beautiful is that? And that's this moment in Genesis 50 is that time when God is taking all these elements, these metals, which were the brothers, and fuses them together with Joseph. And this is a powerful, powerful principle. Without the heating process, it looks impossible. Eh? Like, how on earth are you going to be able to mix these two pieces of metal? But fire makes it possible. Look at your neighbor and say, fire makes it possible. And what is fire? Fire is suffering. Fire is, is stuff of life. Fire makes it possible. Suffering makes things possible. It's like Vanessa telling us the beautiful story of fusion in her family. Fire makes things possible. What was impossible before? Fire makes it possible. That were to be tested means to be fused through the fire process. When suffering has hit, when pain has happened, hearts melt. And there will be a joining that happens. Fire makes it possible. Fire makes it possible. Fire makes it possible. And it says in Genesis 49 verses 22 to 26 about Joseph. He's a fruitful vine near a spring. Whose branches climb over a wall. A steady bow. Strong and agile arms, the strength of God that does not fail him. He talks about his father's blessings as Joseph. Genesis 49, verses 22 to 26, when his father prophesied to him. You can imagine that, that prophetic word after years of separation. And his father is about to die, and he prophesies to this man, Joseph. He says, Joseph, you are a fruitful vine. Near spring. Whose branches climb over walls. A steady bow. Strong and agile arms. You've got strength of God that does not fail you. And that has not failed you. Because there was a clear evidence of the strength of God. 
and you are walking in the dimension of your father's blessing, you have the favor of the Lord. A fruitful vine, LSA, we should be. Near a spring, which means we've got to be walking in rich spiritual life that is powered by the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a reason why the Spirit of God broke out early this year. Fruitful vine near a spring. Rich spiritual life that draws from the Spirit of God, from the deep wells of the Spirit, whose branches climb over walls. We know no limitation, in other words. Where God wants us to be, we will be. Where God wants us to go, we will go. Whose branches climb over walls, it says in verse 22 in Genesis 49. We walk in the dimension of spiritual prosperity and there's victorious advance in this church. A steady bow, a strong and agile arm, strength in one hand. We are a warrior in the spirit, in other words. We know how to take on challenges of life. We have warfare capacity. What kind of capacity? Warfare capacity. We can fight. We can go to the battlefield. We don't shy away in a, in a, in a day of battle. We are steady. Our arms are strong and agile. And we have the strength of God that does not fail us. Humans are drawing from God through a life of devotion, of prayer. And that's why we love to pray and to worship God. Because that's our way of drawing from him. It says, your fathers, you are walking in the dimension of your father's blessings. Which means there is a generational inheritance in this church. There is a favor of God. There is a favor of God. And how beautiful is that? That's Joseph. That's a prophetic description coming from his father. After 13 years of separation, when he looks at him, as, as his father is about to die, he prophesies. He says, this is who you are, Joseph. A fruitful vine near a spring. Whose branches climb over a wall. And this is Genesis 49, verses 22 to 26. When Moses speaks a prophetic word to, 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 to the dimension of Joseph in Deuteronomy 33, verses 13 to 17, he says, May the Lord bless his land. The blessing of the Lord again, the favor of God. May the Lord bless his land. He is a prince among his brothers. He says in verse 16, Deuteronomy 33. In other words, he's got stature and he's got ranking. But he is a relational man. Because he stands amongst his brothers. He is not self-absorbed. Prince among his brothers. So he holds the principle of relationship and the principle of anointing and rank and stature in perfect harmony in his heart. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. In verse 17, there's strength and capacity, in other words, here. His strength and capacity, his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them, he will go the nations. And he's talking about a global mission, global reach. And that's Joseph. That's Joseph. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 13 to 17. Now, you know, this is a beautiful thing. May the Lord bless his land, a prince among his brothers. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them, he will gore the nations. 
He's got a global mission. He's got strength and capacity. He's got stature and rank that takes place in the context of relationship. And he's walking in the power of blessing and of favor. He is a fruitful vine whose branches climb over walls. He knows no limits. He will keep pushing against the limitations of life. He is a warrior. He's got warfare capacity. And he's drawing from God through devotional life. And he's walking in the reality of generational inheritance and of the favor of the Lord. You've got to love Joseph. And this is the man that God said in 2013, he's your prophetic icon. He's your reference point. If you want to understand your journey, look to Joseph to understand who you are. And LSA, I want to encourage us to stand in the placement of God, in the spirit, to take our place. You know. And Joseph is fully re restored. And by the time uh, uh, Moses prophesies to the Joseph dimension in Deuteronomy 33, is they were doing so amongst or in the context of other tribes. He's restored to his rightful place by God. By God. God restores him to his rightful place. And the things of God flow unhindered. You are Joseph. That's your guy. He's a guy that sticks it out. He's a guy that's not paralyzed by what may look like the interruption of a plan. Regardless of where he is, he sticks it out. He knows how to be a good slave and he knows how to be a good prisoner. He sticks it out. Wherever he shows up, everybody recognizes Joseph. And I've understood that about my life and about this church in the last eight years. Wherever we show up, everybody notices. But we're not distracted by the noticing and by the attention. We keep going on. We keep marching. We keep moving forward. We keep marching. You know, there are many things that could have caused us to camp in the last eight years. Attention, recognition, invitation, some of which you don't even know about. But we've said no to many of those things because we knew there is a journey in God. And we could have camped somewhere and, and have done significant things that men will recognize. Uh, we're not looking for men's attention. We're looking for God. Until we appear before God in Zion, Psalm 84, we'll keep marching on. We are the pilgrims in the purposes of God. Until we appear, until we appear, and we've kept saying, we're pioneering, we're moving. To the point where some of us got confused. But man, we will bear the cost of marching forward in the things of God. Because we are Joseph. Joseph could have built, could have become the CEO in Potiphar's empire, uh, you know, um, uh, estate. He, he could have become a, a he, could have, he could have been converted from being a prisoner into a, 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 a senior warden. He could have been just the prime minister who was managing the economy of Egypt. But he does not stop. He's not distracted by attention. He keeps marching forward. 
until he appears before God in Zion, until he stands amongst his brothers, fully restored in the things of God. That's Joseph. And that's who you are, LSA. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray together.